this morning, we are going to continue on our sermon series of Jump In, Get In The Flow. Now, last week, uh, we kind of introed the series, and, and we talked about, uh, it's actually inspired from a devotional that was inspired by an article in the New York Times um, that talks about the prevailing feeling of, of this 2021 season. And it's this feeling of, of, of blah. You know, the kind of blah the, you're not, you know, they call it like it's not depression because you still have hope, but you're not thriving. You're in this in-between, kind of like uh, right now you notice in the mornings that your windows are foggy, right? When you start driving, you're trying to, trying to look through the window because you didn't give your car enough time to defrost. You're kind of like, like this, you know, trying to find the hole in the gaps to hopefully not hit a person or a deer or something. And, and we're kind of living life that way. And psychologists have actually uh, labeled this languishing. Now, languishing, they call kind of this, the, the in-between uh, 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 depression and thriving, this languishing feeling. And, and, then, and, and psychologists said the solution for this is a term they coined called get in the flow or getting in the flow. Now, the flow is getting into a, a meaningful challenge that takes away your idea of time and space. It kind of breaks that malaise. And, and there's no greater flow that we can get into than the flow of the love-giving, grace-empowering presence of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's found in, in us and in community. And last week, we kind of highlighted the, the, uh, 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 this, this vision that Ezekiel had in Ezekiel 47. He had this picture of, of this river flowing out of the temple. Now, when we read the Old Testament, when we see the temple, it actually references the place that God's presence is housed, where the people gather together and his presence is there. Now, in the New Testament, it says that we are the, the temple of God, and God actually is housed in us, that each and every one of us, as believers, has the presence of God. That if we open it, it begins to flow. And when that presence gathers together, you know, all those little flows kind of create a kind of a big flow. And, and so the, the river of God, or the flow of God, flows through the community of believers. And we looked at the vision in Ezekiel 47. Anything that was in the river or, or planted by the river grew in the places that shouldn't have grown. It talks about the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is absolutely desolate. Where there should be no growth plugged into the river or in the flow of the river, there is growth and there is life. And we begin to talk about, and I began to share if, if we would continue to use that analogy. And, and, and this kind of, this fits in with the sermon series because September kind of begins to give you its own flow. Whether you have kids in school or not, September really is like the new year. You kind of, you know, like this is when patterns begin to get set. This is when schedules are made. This is when we kind of hope to, to get back to normal. Right? And, and, and usually in September, we need to prioritize what we're doing. Hockey season starts. Soccer season starts. This season starts. School starts. And we have all these different things going on. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden we prioritize or we schedule ourselves into this malaise. Into this doing this thing over and over again. Getting back into the routine of life. And here we are again, driving in a car that hasn't been defrosted. And we're kind of going and navigating through life. And, and usually this time of year, I think there's a, kind of two types of people. And I, and I don't want to label people, but generally speaking, in around September, those, those people who feel incredibly motivated and think this is going to be the year that things change. This is when change is going to happen. 
this year I'm going to be organized. My kids are going to get to school on time. I'm going to do whatever your phase of life is. Usually in September, you're either motivated to start something. And if we continue to use the analogy of Ezekiel 47, and if we look back to, to even last week's sermon, if we try to plant life where the river isn't flowing, it's just going to look like life for a little while, and then it's going to die. If it's not plugged into the source of the flow or the presence of God, whatever we try will die. And I don't know if you've experienced this where you feel motivated to do something, and it's really good. And all these things are good. You think of things like, I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to start having good habits. I'm going to start a devotional life. We put all those things down. They're all good. But outside of the flow of his presence, they'll die. And how many of us have started these habits and had them just completely fade away? I'm going to change. Yet we try to change outside of his flow. Again, in the vision of Ezekiel 47, anything not in the river stays stagnant, stays salty, and just dies. The second group are people who have experienced this cycle of, I'm excited to do something new. We plant it. It's now we're close to the river. It dies. We don't know why it dies because, hey, I'm planting good habits. And so now we've kind of just given in. Maybe you've heard someone say, hey, this is who I am. You know, love it or leave it. Like it or like, leave it, whatever the expression is, right? This is just who I am. I mean, this is, I use this, I used to use this. I still use this, actually. I should stop. But all the time, oh, I'm Italian. So, you know, that's why I'm angry. Oh, I'm Italian. That's why I'm overeating. Ha, 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 right? And we kind of make these, this is just who I am. And this, this morning, can I tell you that this is just who I am is, is a lot. Because regardless if we're like the first person super motivated or the second person who's finally given up, we have a few things in common. First of all, we are all created in the image of God. Just think about that. Because even if you've been at church a long time, you probably heard this lots. We're created in the image of God. We're talking about God. Whoa, big God who created everything. Who with his words created things into existence. God, who's not just a bigger version of me, or bigger, better version of me, or you, or the, or the best person you can think of, but it's actually God made us in his image. We're like little gods. We're made part of his characters in each and every one of us. We're created in his image, and that through Jesus Christ, he has made us right with God. Or you might have heard the term that righteous. We are righteous because of Jesus Christ. We are pure. We are holy. This relationship with God starts without a deficit. Now, I'm not sure what your experience is, but most people, when, when they're married, kind of bring debt into the relationship. They've ever experienced that? Whether it be student loan debt, car debt, stupid debt, you name it. Right? Talk about emotional debt, baggage. We're always bringing things into relationship. And I think sometimes we view our relationship with God as, as he's taking pity on us because I'm bringing all my baggage and God is God. But through Jesus Christ, that word righteous means that that debt has actually been cleared, that baggage is taken care of, and we're starting from zero. Wouldn't that be great? How many of us just want to be at zero, right? We are created in the image of God and we are made right by Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand that because 
Identity is everything. If we have a broken view of who God is and who we are, then it's going to prevent us from getting into the flow of his presence. The feeling of guilt, the feeling of unworthiness. Am I even worthy to plant my tree by God's presence? <laughs> Am I even worthy to be here? Even to get here? You know, I remember my experience. Maybe this is not your experience. We had a long drive into church, and we went to an Italian church. We lived in Burnaby, and the church was actually, we lived in Coquitlam at this point, and the church was in Vancouver, Nanaimo Street. All these fun memories of, of where we used to go to church. And in the drive-in would be like the fight all the way to church. Anyone else yelling there? I mean, we live in Powell River, so we don't have a lot of time to yell in the car, but it's usually, hurry up, we're gonna be late, get ready, why are you speeding? Speed, drive faster, don't drive faster, please, you fight and you get to church, everything's good, right? And on this, this drive to church, I remember, even before you walk in the, God, forgive me of all my sins, because I didn't want to be struck down. I didn't want to walk into church and die under the weight of God's presence. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? But I, I, does anyone, like, almost feel like you got to get right before you come in? you got to get right before relationships started again? you got to get right One of the reasons I love that one song we sung, that I'm going to raise a hallelujah— because they got this line in the song, and I'm going to get it wrong. But it's kind of like, I'm going to worship you even in the mystery. And this is the beauty of God. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to get it all. You don't have to even be okay with it all. You don't. But this you need to understand. God made you. And in his eyes, you're good. One of the verses in scripture that really made this come alive in me is actually Romans 6. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to join me in Romans 6. And this morning, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Please. We're going to start with the first six verses. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we are joined with Christ, um, Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by this glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That word sin, if you've been here long enough, I have defined it so many times, and I'll continue to define it because it's really important to understand it. Sin is kind of like this really big Christian word that kind of sounds scary, right? But, but sin is, is an English translation, and when the Bible was translated in English back in like the 17th century, uh, archery was a big term. And so the way they understood sin is by an archery term, that if you miss the bullseye, you miss the mark, they would yell, sin, you've missed it. Now, sin essentially means withholding your, your share of God's favor. So like even in Latin countries, like in, in Spanish, if you want to order coffee without milk, you would say sin leche. Sin is without. You're, you're, you're withholding your share of. So if you go back to when they translated it, if you're in a competition and you miss the bullseye, you disqualify yourself from the prize. 
See, sin isn't something that kind of hides around the corner getting ready to mug you. You know what I mean? Sometimes we act like, oh, I'm just living my life. Then all of a sudden sin comes out. Bam! I've been hit by sin. Right? Sin isn't that. Sin is literally a choice that we make that removes ourselves from the favor of God. That, that's sin. And so we don't need to make it scary. Just understanding it's, it's we kind of miss the mark. Now, when we look at Scripture and we look at this section, grace is what makes us be able to shoot again. If sin disqualifies us from God's favor, grace is what makes us allow to go back in the favor with, with no strings attached. There is no deficit. Where if we want to use the idea of financial, where if sin is like I've used my credit card and I made this really dumb purchase, now I'm $500 in debt, grace erases that debt. So being in favor with God isn't this thing where we have to like have this whole procedure. It, that's grace. Grace qualifies us again. Where we would be disqualified from God's favor, grace kind of makes us qualified. So in fact, when I say that God says that we are righteous, in his eyes, we are good. He does not define us by us missing the mark. What tends to happen is we tend to define ourselves by our shortcomings. We will label ourselves as a liar. Uh, uh, you know, angry. I, I have loose temper. I, I'm mean. We label these things. I'm broken. You know, I have a problem. I mean, sometimes we tend to define ourselves by our sin. Again, understanding that sin is not a force that happens to us. When we have a broken idea of who we are in Christ, then we tend to accept that image of brokenness as ourselves. We even begin to define ourselves by it. We define ourselves by our sicknesses. We define ourselves by our shortcomings. We define ourselves by our brokenness. Now, someone smarter than me said that grace doesn't make it impossible to sin, but it does make it possible not to. How does that work? Because we are not stuck in and we're not defined by our shortcoming. We are made new through Christ and we have overcome the power of sin. Now, if you look at verse six, this is the part that kind of like light bulb kind of went out, when it went out. That's bad, went off. Good, went on, that's the word. This is when the light bulb turned on. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with him, so Christ, Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. See, sin only has as much power as we give it. Sin only has as much power as we give it. If we continue to define ourselves by our shortcoming, then that gives it power. If we continue to give sin power, we make it sound big. And tell me if you've heard this before. We are all sinful and we need God. Right? But what does the scripture teach us? That through Jesus Christ, who has the power over sin? Jesus. And who does he give it to? Us. So can we change? Yes. Whose choice is it? Ours. We have been given power to actually hit the bullseyes in our lives. It isn't a story. It isn't like this far-fetched dream that can I actually walk in God's favor? Can I actually like experience his provision? 
When the Bible says that I will prosper in God's, is this even possible for me? That's probably for the really holy. Like I went to five years, I did an extra year of Bible college, so I'm qualified, right? Sometimes we think like that. But let's look at who actually has control. If we continue on, verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Let's actually pause there. I have more, but let's pause there. Do not let implies that we give sin power. This is why I wanted to define sin. Because we made sin out to be this really scary word, the dark thing that hides around the sin. You have sin in your life. We, we heard that. When again, sin only has as much power as we give it. And do not let implies that we actually give sin reign in our life. And it doesn't sound overly positive, but I really believe that it's important to identify what we're doing so we can do the opposite. If we are made in the image of God, and if we're right with God, does sin overpower our lives? Are we uh, um, stuck with the old habits? If we are created in the image of God, then who are we? Can we actually hit the mark? Now, verse 14, which I didn't read earlier, I, I, I want to read now. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. There are no boundaries to getting into the flow. There is no boundaries for jumping into the river. If we want to use the analogy of last week, there is nothing. You are free to jump in or not. Here's where God is not me, but he is God. God loves you, accepts you, died for you, whether you choose to jump in or not. The question is, do you want to live life or not? Let me kind of give you kind of a broken example to try to help, uh, help us understand that. Now, I like to view it kind of like going to a doctor and the doctor kind of says, hey, I've done some tests and right now you are not healthy. You're dying. And, and in order to, to, to slow down you dying, Here's this, here's this prescription, this medication, that if you take it, you know, it, it will help you. But more importantly, you got to change the way you live. If you make these changes, then you'll be less reliant on the medication. Like if we want to use, uh, um, if you want to use insulin, for example, maybe you go to a doctor and says you're diabetic. This insulin will keep you alive. But if you make changes, you'll be less reliant on it. Now, you, you can leave the doctor's office and you can make changes and experience life, or you cannot. And you would still be alive, right? But who is actually experiencing real life? This morning, 
I want to challenge us to live real life. I want to have this, this real look in us, the, the, the cycles we get in, where we're good with God, not good with God. We're good in our marriage, we're not good in our marriage. We're good at work, we're not good at work. These cycles where we feel God, we don't feel God. We feel God, we don't feel God. We talk about the valleys and the mountains, like they actually express our relationship with God. And really it doesn't, because the Bible says God is God of the valleys and he's God of the mountaintops. Did that backwards. Mountaintops, valleys. Do we want to be free from the cycle of, of doubt? Do we want to be free from the cycle of guilt? Verses 15 and 16. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you've become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. The focus this morning really is identity. Who you are in Christ. You are not defined by your shortcomings, but you can hit the mark. Now salvation is three things. That we're saved. That word saved kind of highlights that the deficit with God is gone. That there is no strings attached. The minute we believe that we're saved... That barrier that was there because of the way we live and the choices that we've made is gone. That's saved. That we're healed. And it's holistic that our spirit, our mind, our bodies are, are healed. That we can experience the healing of God. That we can be made whole in every aspect. And, and delivered. That we are delivered from the very things that keep us bound. And this morning, and sometimes I feel like that deliverance piece is ignored because it's scary. The word deliver, the first thing I think of, and maybe, maybe I'm unique in this, has anyone ever seen the movie Exorcist? Or even like, like highlights of it, right? That, that, that's a scary movie, man. Let me tell you, I got saved like four times watching that movie when I was a kid. <laughs> and it makes it out to like this, this... I don't want to go there, but... In general, the idea of deliverance and even the, the idea of possession is actually a poorly translated word. The word uh, uh, um, um, possession is diamonizo, which sounds scary. kind of sounds like demon, right? But it actually means uh, um, non-godly influence. It actually has nothing to do with control. It's nothing to do with control. When we watch The Exorcist and it's all scary, that, that, that's kind of like the extreme side of like, the point one, whatever. But it's influence. And there are areas in our lives that I will contend that we do not give God influence over. And if we look at the verse, there is no neutral ground. We either give God influence over everything or we don't. And, and when we feel like we, you know that phrase, I just can't change. I can't stop. I can't. That I can't is a really good indicator that we need to take hold of the truth that God is our deliverer as well. Because the Bible says that we are set free. And some of us, I think we just need a little bit more help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of us just, just need deliverance. And this is the good news. 
This is what God does in the areas where you're stuck, in the areas where you can't, the very areas of our life that cuts off the flow of his presence. We can be delivered from. Now, I want to give you a really practical example. Again, because the word deliverance and possession and oppression, all that kind of stuff, it kind of sometimes just gets, I really want to make it really, really practical. So let me give you an example from my life, something that I've been freed in the last 10 years. Now, um, I've got quite a few issues, actually. For a pastor, I've got, got issues. But uh, one of the ones that I had ever since a kid is I was um, a compulsive liar. Like, I just lied. And, and, and being, you know, lying and being a compulsive liar are kind of different. Like, people lie, exaggerate the truth. But, like, I would lie when I didn't even have to. And, and I didn't even know. I would just, you know, hey, what are you, what are you doing this weekend? And I would, oh, yeah, I'm climbing a mountain. I'm not. Why would I even say that? But I don't know. I just go into it. I would just lie. And I would just lie. I would almost lie about everything to the point where I lied so much, I didn't know how many of my memories were actually mine or the lie I've told. Right? I'm, I'm actually not exaggerating. That was, I was a, a liar. It was compulsive. I wasn't thinking about it. You know? And if we use the biblical de- definition, I was under the influence of a lying spirit. I was lying. And it wasn't actually, I was reading a book now more 12 years ago that began to really deal with identity. And this verse was in it. So now I'm reading this verse because, you know, I didn't really trust the book because the book was hidden too close to home. And so I'm reading the Bible and I'm reading this in Romans 6. I'm like, I am actually free from this. I don't have to keep lying anymore. I don't have to label it. I am actually not a liar. I'm defining myself by my, I kept calling myself a liar. Was I still lying? Yes. But does God see me as a liar? No. Was I made a liar? No. And so it started with changing how I labeled myself. I would literally out loud say, I am not a liar. This is just what I did. It's not who I am. And then I began to deal with the guilt. Because one of the reasons you keep on lying is because you don't want to get caught. You're scared of punishment. But then, who is God? If I am made right with God, is God going to punish me? No. So breaking the lie of punishment, breaking the lie of guilt. And I began to declare it out loud. I have been set free from lying. I would tell a lie, and I would catch myself. And because I knew that God wasn't wasn't angry at me and I didn't have guilt, I would start telling the truth. It'd be dumb things like, I would literally go for lunch and like, Go to McDonald's. And the kid would be like, hey, did you go to McDonald's? Yeah, you could see the thing. But I compulsively, no. Wait a minute. Yes, I did. Begin to do the opposite. I began to act like I wanted to be. I began to think like who I wanted to be. But more importantly, I recognized that I couldn't do this on my own. That Jesus is my deliverer. And so I would pray. God, you have delivered me from lying. When Roland preached a message out of this, I love the phrasing he used because when the thoughts came in his mind, he would take them hold of him and say, I have died to that way of thinking. I am new in Christ Jesus. And I have died to that way of thinking. I have died to this shortcoming. I have died to the sin. I am not defined by where I've missed the bullseye, but I'm defined by how God views me. And God views me as righteous, so I can shoot again. 
It's kind of like another personal example, right? I'm always struggling with my weight. It's a thing. I almost over-obsess on it. I got to work on it, right? And then I start something. I'm good for like a month. And then like, I like I'll, I'll cheat, you know? I'll have a donut. And, you know, and then all of a sudden my brain is so dumb. Does anyone relate to this? Like, well, if I'm going to have one, I might as well have 12. <laughs> and you just so give up. But we do that spiritually. Or maybe like I've taken captive of this and I'm changed. And there's that one time where I go back to the old habit and immediately we define ourselves by that old habit. That is a lie from the enemy. Our enemy wants to steal, kill, destroy. It wants you to pull you right out of the flow. It wants all your growth to die. And it will tell you, you are your shortcoming. But this morning, God is saying, you are my grace. You are my love. You are my, I made you. And you're defined by who, how I made you to be. So this morning is an invitation to choose differently, to choose freedom, to choose how we label ourselves, to choose what we say about ourselves. This is actually a two-way street too because people can change when they're changed by the power of Jesus Christ and his presence. The hardest or the people who have the hardest time seeing the change are the people closest to it. You know what I mean? Like, I have a hard time seeing the change in my wife. Right? But if I haven't seen James in a week, it's pretty noticeable. Right? I mean, who's experienced this during this pandemic? I haven't seen a kid in like a year and a half. Then all of a sudden, they're like, what? It's easy to recognize change when the part of being able to see who we are in Christ is seeing others, how they are in Christ. Let's leave room for people who are learning to jump in. Let's choose life. Let's be honest with the areas that we're missing the mark. And let's honestly invite the Holy Spirit into those areas. God, this is my struggle. And I invite you in. I take those thoughts captive. I am your righteousness. I am righteous because of you. Begin to choose salvation. Begin to choose hope. Jump in. Let's align our priorities so that what we do reflects who we want to be. More importantly, who God made us to be. What is my time? Does my time look like someone who has been set free, who is holy, who is righteous? who's pure, who's made right by God. And align ourselves and invest in community that encourages, encourages? Encourages freedom and life. So this morning, let's pray. And I invite you to stand with me. Again, I want to pray, first of all, if you have never made a decision to believe in Jesus Christ, this moment of salvation, or if you're not, just not sure, am I saved? Sometimes we make it harder than it really needs to be. If you believe in Jesus, then, then you know, you're, that's, that, that's salvation. It's belief. So this morning, I want to invite you to pray with me. 
In fact, I'm going to invite everyone to kind of repeat after me as we pray. But if it's your first time making this prayer, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that you need Jesus in your life, that you have missed the mark. And now we need his grace. And we invite his presence in our lives. We invite him into our lives that we can shoot again to make the changes, to begin to kind of unravel and live who he created us to be. Secondly, if you're hearing this and you, are, you relate to this, I am just stuck repeating the same habits over and over again. I've actually defined myself by my shortcomings. I want to pray that God would deliver us and bring his deliverance. And even after this, I have a mask here. If you feel like you need further prayer, I'll have put my mask on. We'll, we'll do it as comfortably as you feel like we need to do this. And I want to pray for you and help lead you through even, even more deliverance. So you walk in the freedom that God has made available to you. And thirdly, maybe you listen to this message again, and you're like, I am here, I am free, I am delivered. I want to invite you then to experience more. Do you have a, a work? No. I want to invite you then to do more, to, to press even deeper, to, to, that God open my eyes to see the people around me, that I can lead to more life. So let's, let's pray together. So first of all, I want to ask everyone to repeat this, but if this is the first time you're doing this, I want you to connect with me after because I, I want to lead you through a little bit more. I want to give you some, some resources as well. So Jesus, I believe in you. And I invite you into my life where I have missed the mark. God, I thank you for your grace. And I want to be like who you made me. So help me, Jesus. Amen. Welcome. It's awesome. Now, Holy Spirit, we just begin to pray for the second group that, that are stuck in just this repeating cycle of sin, guilt, shame, separation. Right now, we just speak against that lie. We break it down in the name of Jesus. The feeling of guilt, that is from our enemy, and we, we, we break it. The feeling of shame, that is not from God. We break it in the name of Jesus. And we just begin to release your deliverance. And in faith right now, Holy Spirit, we believe that we are being delivered from, from things like lying. We're being delivered from anger. We just speak directly to addictions in the name of Jesus. From, from porn addictions to alcohol addictions to to, to Nick, all the different addictions, drug addictions, anything that is that is uh, um, that uh, the addictive cycle that leads to guilt and shame. In the name of Jesus, we just speak your deliverance. We speak your breaking. You're breaking it right now in the name of Jesus. If you're identifying with any of these areas in faith, I want you to just begin to believe it. Even if, even in your mind, just in the name of Jesus, we take captive our thoughts. We have died to that way of living. We have died to that way of thinking. We have died to that way of speaking. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just begin to fill each and every one of us with your Spirit. Holy Spirit, more of you, your grace, your love, that you would continue to empower us by your grace and your love to be the very person you have made us to be. God, where we are defining ourselves 
by our shortcomings and wearing the labels of, uh, of sick, broken, dead, all those different labels. We tear those off in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us our identity? Would you catch our words? Would you catch our thoughts? I pray conviction where we are, are holding on to our past lives. Would you give us conviction where we are speaking death when we should be speaking your life, Father? And we want to begin to live as free people. God, we want to be river people. We want to get into your flow, Holy Spirit. Now for the third group, Holy Spirit, we pray for more, more of you, more of your spirit, more of your river, that life will just continue to flow out of us, Father. And then you give us eyes to see the very people that you're calling us to, 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 to minister and to give life to as well, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This morning as we go, go in the